Okay, ready? ready? Set? Go. Go. Okay, here we go. Ready? Set. Okay. Jesus loves me this I know. like a movie? That he loves to laugh. He loves to make people laugh. Think because I'm beautiful, kind, and sweet. So I'm funny. I'm pretty. Happy. I always like makeup and stuff because it makes me beautiful and I really want to have makeup someday. Happy. I used to play basketball. That I'm cool. Funny. I have, I have a rather large vocabulary and it makes me feel smart. And I love doing music. I like music. I don't know songs from I don't know where. God loves everything about him. He made him this way for a reason. He thinks I'm kind, wonderful, sweet. Jesus. God like loving me that way. I, my passion, my past, my religion, my faith. Everything. Have a guy. I think God um, blesses him every day, and we are thankful that he is here on this earth. And he, so I'm glad he's seen my life. Vincent Church. Bible study. I like the way that, that my, like some of the friends, like I meet new people, new friends, and everything. Because I get to meet a lot of special people that are so sweet and nice. And I get to praise God. I just love Amanda. Praying. He loves to come and be with um, people of all ages. He enjoys being around them. Um, he loves the um, kindness that he receives from people up here. I love coming to this church because it's a nice little church. Stepping stones. The, the adults usually and how they can accept my opinions. Bush. I have lots of friends. Uh, I my dolls here. And, and see Amanda. That's all. That's pretty much it. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me we to once him be long. They are weak, but he is not strong. Yes, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. and I finally did not cry watching it. I know, I see you wiping your faces out there. It's, it, um, 
It's a special video, and those are some special people that we have in our church. You know, special needs is one of those areas where we've had this ministry for about 10 years, but it's been in the last couple of years that God has really just sort of pushed us along. Like you can almost feel the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit just shoving us going, keep up. Um, Amanda uh, Ferguson, who started working with that, and I've seen God work through her, and it's been beautiful. It really is a beautiful ministry, and we highlight that not just to show you what our church is doing, but we highlight to show you that our family is big, our family is broad and wide, and um, it involves everybody, and we want um, families out there who have somebody with special needs or are touched by special needs in some way, we want them to know that they are loved and that they are welcome. They are just as much a part of our family as anybody else, um, and we are, we are thankful for them. You know, the little girl that sings at the end of that video, um, she sings, Jesus Loves Me. She's normally nonverbal. But um, she sort of has a song of thanks on her heart, right? That she, she can sing that. She may not be able to say much, but she can sing that little song about Jesus loving her. Um, and today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about um, Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the way thanks can bring joy to our life. But first, if we haven't met, my name is Tina Shrammy, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And I'm really glad to be here today. I appreciate the opportunity to preach. I don't do it often, but I really enjoy getting to do it. Um, let's talk about Thanksgiving first, Thanksgiving the holiday, okay? Now, I'm talking about, you know, this time when most of you are getting ready for all your family together, all your family, and you're really happy about it, right? You're very excited for all your family together. Or maybe this is a holiday where you're going to spend hours, days, maybe even weeks preparing for this one spectacular meal that's over in 20 minutes, right? Maybe this is a holiday time when you're sad. Maybe it's a time when um, you're alone or it recalls memories of loved ones that you've lost, and so that's hard for you. I know I can relate. Uh, I lost my mom in November. It's been 12 or 13 years ago, but um, it still hurts at this time of year. I still recall that, and so I understand that. Or maybe you're not alone, but you've got so much family around you, wish you were alone at Thanksgiving, right? You know what I'm talking about. I've had some, maybe even you want to call this stress giving instead of Thanksgiving. I've heard that as well. Well, I've had some good Thanksgivings and some not so good ones. Um, I recall uh, one of my Thanksgivings when Jean and my husband and I first started dating. And we both worked at Camp Grady Spruce, which is out on Possum Kingdom Lake, a large camp. And at Thanksgiving, we would have families rent cabins. And so some staff member would have to stay behind and sort of work um, that week and be there for those families. And um, um, I, it was my year to do that. So everybody was gone. Those families were, of course, they were in their cabins. They didn't need much. And so I had to just be there for them. And I had to take care of the horses. We had three corrals with about 15 to 20 horses in each. And so I had to hay the horses and sort of watch over them, make sure they were okay. Well, that's fine and all. I'd done that plenty while working at camp. It's something that everybody kind of pitches in and helps. But I had to do it all by myself this Thanksgiving. And it was cold. And it was snowing and icy. And I was all by myself. It was really sad. I remember calling Jean on the phone. And we'd only been dating a few months, but I called and said, I'm all alone. It's just me and the horses. Anyway, it was, um, I know, you don't feel very sorry for me. You really should be more sad about that. <laughs> it's kind of the way he reacted too, huh? Anyway, 
Um, and then I remember the Thanksgiving, our first Thanksgiving together as a married couple. And again, we lived out at camp, and so we decided to have both of our sets of parents out to camp for Thanksgiving, and we were going to host the meal. Well, this was a great idea. Um, his family, he, Gene, uh, my husband, grew up in the Park Cities in Dallas. And well, I'm from not the Park Cities in Dallas. So if you can imagine, our two families were quite different. They were both very nice and kind to each other, etc. But to have them both together our first Thanksgiving was a little crazy. It actually all worked out well because I had the two moms bring all the different foods and I made the turkey except for I just bought a pre-cooked turkey. So that solved that problem. And then there was a Thanksgiving. This is my husband's favorite Thanksgiving to remind me of. Not his favorite Thanksgiving, but he loves to remind me of this one. So you know, uh, wives, okay, are you with me? At Thanksgiving, what is this week all about besides a Thanksgiving meal? You got to get stuff out, right? You got to get the Christmas stuff out. You got to get the lights put up on the house, right? This is important. This is the week to get it done, right? So this one Thanksgiving, we happened to be at home with no family to go to for some reason. I don't remember. So it was just my husband and I and our two young kids. And I was determined we were going to get these lights put up, right? So uh, Gene goes on the roof the first day and gets a few strands put up. And then he doesn't feel very good. And so he says, Man, I got to come down. I just don't feel good, you know? I, I don't know what it is. Came down, sort of went to bed, slept it off. The next morning, I was like, so you get those lights finished today? Okay, hot babe. So he gets up on the roof. Again, he's up there like an hour and they doesn't feel good. Comes down again. Third day. So babe, you're you going to get those lights finished today? Okay, honey. So he gets back up there on the roof and again, same thing. Doesn't finish the lights. I mean, he had three days to do it. Comes back down, doesn't feel good. That night he gets really, really sick. Like he, he finally just starts feeling sick to his stomach and gets a fever and so forth. And so the next morning we take him to the hospital. And of course the hospital, they keep asking him if he ate too much Thanksgiving dinner. And we're like, he hasn't eaten a bite in three days, but he also didn't get the lights done. So, you know, whatever. But um, he, uh, anyway, come to find out he had chicken pox. He had chicken pox internally in his body before he broke out on the outside, so we didn't know it. He had, had chicken pox that whole week. He had to be hospitalized for five days. Wife of the year right here. <laughs> yep. So he loves to remind me about that Thanksgiving. But, you know, here's the deal with Thanksgiving and other holidays. Sometimes we get so caught up, right, in the, in the fixing, in the preparing, in the getting ready for that we don't stop and enjoy the moment. That meal really is usually over in about 20 minutes. And most of us haven't really enjoyed that time of getting there, that meal, the time after. We have to sort of make ourselves do that. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. Thanksgiving, hopefully I can give you some fresh new insights on, on um, what Thanksgiving is all about. First, let me ask you a question. When you had children or when you were a child and somebody gave a child something or gives you something, what is it that you have been taught to say? Thank you. That's right. Now, do you say this before they give you something or after? After, right? It doesn't make sense to give them something, you know, to say thank you before you've been given something, right? You, you say thank you after, right? This is what I've been taught as well. But let me tell you something, if you've read any of my first 15, which is our um, daily devotion online that we have, or if you've heard me talk before, you might know that I often talk about how Jesus' world, the God's economy is a little bit paradoxical, usually flipped upside down, the opposite of what we normally think. Um, and so that's the same with giving thanks. Now, let's start with the meaning of thanks in the Bible. In the New Testament, when Jesus gives thanks, he uses the Greek word is eucharisteo. 
And the root word in the middle of that, the C-H-A-R-I-S, is charis. And that is the Greek word for grace. So this Eucharistio, this grace with thanksgiving sort of wrapped around it, is the thanks that God we give to God in close agreement with what God is already doing and will do. Does that make sense? In other words, when Jesus gives thanks to God, he's anticipating the grace of the gift to come. The grace, the gift, is already present in the thanksgiving. We often think in dualisms. We think either or, um, yes, no, this or that, but in God's economy, it's usually a both and sort of thing. And that's what this thanksgiving is. It's both and. It's giving thanks in the midst of anticipating the grace that is to come. Now, um, let me read our scripture today. It comes from Matthew. If you want to read along, uh, in the Pew Bible, it's on 1524. I'm reading from Matthew 14, verses 15 through 21. So listen with me. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Well, bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven... He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Wow. So did you notice here when Jesus gave thanks? It says in verses 18 and 19, he directed the people to sit on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Here he had these loaves, the not enough fish and bread, and he gave thanks for it before there was enough. Now first let's think about what we could have done in this situation. So Jesus could have sent the disciples into town to pick up a few truckloads or rather camel loads full of food to come back and with food for everybody. Or he could have just sent everybody into town like the disciples wanted to do, right? He could have said, go in. I'm sure there's a Dairy Queen somewhere or something, you know, get some food and, and they'll be all right. Or maybe, like, I'm imagining if I was a disciple, I'd be trying to be, like, super disciple and have faith and, you know, think, okay, we can, we can feed all these people with these few loaves and fish. But what I would have done was I would have got down on my knees and prayed and said, God, please give us a miracle. We've only got a few loaves of bread and some fish here, and we got to feed thousands. Do you see all these people, God? Give us a miracle, please. I would have got down on my knees and prayed for that. Because that's what we think to do, right? That's, that's what I do today in my life. When I need something to happen and I'm, I'm calling on God, I ask for it. And that's a good thing to do. But let me tell you, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus instead didn't get down and ask God for the miracle. Jesus gave thanks for the miracle that was to come. Jesus used this Eucharistio sort of thanksgiving that envelops the grace that is already in our midst. Let's look at some other examples 
of Jesus um, giving thanks. You know the story of Lazarus. You don't have to look this up if you don't want, but it's in uh, John 11. And it says, now the story of Lazarus is this. He was a dear friend of Jesus and his sisters were dear friends of Jesus. And he was sick and then he died. And the sisters pleaded with Jesus to come. And Jesus waited. He didn't come until the fourth day that Lazarus had been in the tomb. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now wait just a minute. A friend of mine came up to me at the last service and said, in the King James Version, it says, he stinketh. I thought that was pretty funny. That's that's a better version. They should just leave that. He stinketh. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus who wept himself. That's where in that passage right before that is where the shortest scripture in the Bible is. It says Jesus wept. He too was sad about Lazarus. This was his dear friend. But he embraced this grief. He gave thanks to God for what God was already doing and what God would do. He saw it all as grace and he gave thanks. Now the Last Supper. I'm not going to pull up that scripture. It's in several of the Gospels. But you know, you've probably heard us as pastors when we do communion, um, which is also called the Eucharist, by the way, in many churches, um, the Thanksgiving meal. We stand up here and we say, um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sharing a meal with his disciples, and he took the bread, he broke it, and he what? Gave thanks, right? Now think about this. In that Last Supper, that meal that Jesus was sharing, this was basically his last night of any normalcy. He was thanking God for the miracle to come, but this miracle involved the actual, literal breaking of his body and shedding of his blood. And he thanked God for it. Again, he didn't say, please God, do a miracle. He didn't get down on his knees and pray for that. He said, I thank you, God. I thank you for this, this cup of suffering, this bread of pain that I have here. In all of this, Jesus' thanks wasn't based on his present circumstances. He embraced the not enough, the suffering, the grief, and saw it all as grace and gave thanks. And it's in that sort of giving thanks, the Eucharisteo, that he found grace and we can find grace. What does this mean for you and me today? Of course, Jesus is Jesus, right? He knew how to do everything perfect and, and um, he did uh, things all the right way. But what, what would that mean for us to do, to give thanks in the way that he gave thanks? I mean, we're all socially trained, of course, to give thanks like we talked about earlier. And in our faith, we know I'm supposed to thank God for my blessings. I'm supposed to thank God for the things that I do have, for the gifts that I have. And that's good. But this sort of eucharisteo, this this thanksgiving that envelops the grace, this anticipatory gratitude is a little bit different and a little bit harder. But I believe we can do it. 
It starts in the seeing, the seeing with our eyes. It starts with focus, the opening of our eyes to that which is around us. How many times in the Bible did Jesus heal the blind? I don't know, I haven't counted, but it's several. He talks about healing the blind. But I believe Jesus came not just to heal the actual blind, but he came to heal the blind so that we may see. Most of us in this room have probably decent vision. Either we wear glasses or contacts or we've had surgery or we can get surgery and we can see physically. You're, most of you are looking at me. Some of you aren't. You're sleeping, but that's okay. Um, but if you're looking at me, your, your eyes are probably functioning okay. But I believe that most of us in this room, myself included, don't normally see the way God calls us to see. We don't really see God in our presence, God in our midst. In her book, 1,000 Gifts, Anne Voskamp says, my human experience is the sum of what the soul sees. So it's about opening our soul to see what is around us. This isn't necessarily easy, but it is about focus. Let's talk about Genesis. Let's talk about Adam and Eve. These two were in the most beautiful place, surrounded by audacious beauty, abundance, everything they could ever want and need, each other, and a close relationship with God. And yet, what was their focus on? Their focus became on the one thing that they didn't have. They had literally everything, anything and everything they could ever want, abundance. And they chose to put their focus on the one thing that not only did they want, but they thought they deserved, right? I kind of think this is often referred to as the original sin. I think of it as the original sin of entitlement, the original sin of wanting more, the original sin of I deserve more. They had everything and they chose to focus on the one thing that they didn't. In our scripture today, even right before um, he takes those, those few fish and bread, you, did you notice he said he looks up to heaven and he gave thanks. He knew where to focus. Jesus knew where to focus. Another way that we can live into this sort of thanksgiving um, with grace in the middle of it is to live slow. Dallas Willard once said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. Folks, I believe hurry empties our soul. It helps us forget what we have and what is around us. Think about it. If you're in a hurry, you're thinking straight ahead. You don't notice what's beside you, what's around you, what's even behind you. You are focused straight ahead. And while focus and vision is good, hurry is not. It is not of the devil. It is the devil. Did you know that if you, um, when you eat, your stomach, it takes about 20 minutes for your stomach to register with your brain that you're full. How much longer does it take us in our lives to register that our life is full if we're in a hurry? We don't even see it. It's not registering. That, that which is around us doesn't even register on our radar because we're focused and in a hurry. I believe that giving thanks for what is around us right now, for living slow, for focusing, turns every moment into a sanctuary of grace. Now finally, 
Um, I think one of the other ways that can help us is to give thanks in all circumstances. In Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In order for us to live into this grace-enveloped thanksgiving, you have to give thanks in all circumstances. It's not easy, but you can do it. When Jesus gave thanks to God, it didn't depend on his situation. Rather, it was in spite of the current conditions. He trusted God. He embraced the not enough, the grief, the suffering, and he counted it all as grace. Did you know that you can only feel um, two, mo- two emotions at, at, I mean, I'm sorry, that you, can, you can't feel two emotions at one time. You can only feel one. Now you can have a lot going on in your head, like you think I'm really mad and frustrated and whatever, but physically you can only feel one emotion at a time. That's just how your brain works. And I'm assuming, well, let me look around here. Yeah, most of your brains probably work pretty normal. I don't know, this section, not sure, but if your brains are working pretty normally, then you can only feel one emotion at a time. So, the thing is to direct your brain how it thinks and feels. Did you know that you could do that? Let me tell you about a spiritual practice that I have developed in the last um, couple of weeks, and it is really changing my heart. And it is this. When um, I am in a circumstance that makes that I, where I am feeling sad or upset or anxiety, I've had a lot of anxiety about some different things lately, here's what I do. I stop in that moment and I give thanks to God. I say, God, thank you for what you have done in this situation. Thank you for what you are doing in this situation and thank you for what you will do in this situation. And you know what it does? It stops me from being anxious or upset or worried, and it puts me right in a state of gratitude immediately. It is that sort of thanks. It's my best attempt at that sort of Eucharistio thanks that Jesus offered us. Thankfulness, I really believe, is the key that opens the door into God's presence. A heart of gratitude. I think it's much more than we give thankfulness credit for. It's the only place where we can truly experience life-giving, life-sustaining joy, the act of sacrificing thank offerings to God, even the bread and the cup of cost, even for the cancer and the crucifixion, even for death and for suffering. When we can learn to give that sort of thanks in the midst of that, then it shows us into the fullest salvation possible. It rescues bitter, angry lives and puts us right into the fullest joy that we can imagine. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that giving thanks saves us. Only a belief in Jesus Christ does that. But deep gratitude, lived out daily, is one evidence for sure of a saved soul. We can experience this fullness of salvation by continually giving thanks, even in the midst of pain. Living this way, giving this sort of thanks that anticipates a gift that sees all as grace, is like utilizing a hijacker in the best way. Giving thanks hijacks 
the darkness. It hijacks the impossible. It hijacks the unlikely, the angry, the painful, and the yet to be. So no matter what the world tries to tell you, no matter what circumstance you're in, you have a choice how to live. You can direct your brain in that one emotion that you can feel at a time. So ultimately, my calling and your calling, friends, is this, to radically hijack every dark hole with grace, to live into this sort of thanksgiving with grace right in the middle of it, this anticipatory thanksgiving, to live every day Eucharisteo. May it be so with us. Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we thank you today for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Amen.